You're now listening to Sanity at the Movies, Silent Film Edition, covering our first silent movie. I don't know, maybe we should be silent through this entire podcast as a tribute to Harold Lloyd's Safety Last, a movie that is 99 years young. I don't know, let's, let's, let's find out what our other people who aren't me think. I'm, by the way, Nathan, your humble and obedient host. I'm joined by uh, Benjamin Solzer, the pastor who's a teacher of righteousness. <laughs> hey, Ben. <laughs> I try. Hey, Nathan. How are you? Good. Uh, big silent movie fan? I, yeah, actually, I don't know if you can call me a big fan. I haven't seen enough of them, but I do like them whenever I see them. It's its own art form. I mean, I mm-hmm. think you have to put yourself in the mindset of you're, you're watching, like, I'm not going to the opera. I'm going to the... What's another art form? The, the painting gallery. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. you sort of have to, like, it's, it's not really exactly the same thing as the cinema that we're used to. No. But speaking of the cinema that we're used to, Jake Menzel. <laughs> Why don't you introduce him? <laughs> it's Jake Menzel. I've really been falling we're, down on my transitions lately. <laughs> we're, you, we're used to him. Yeah. He's here a lot. He's the pastor who's a master of cinema. All right. <laughs> Jake threw up his hands and. It looks like maybe satisfaction? Jake has decided to do a bit. <laughs> Where he's <laughs> silent. Nice for him to laugh. <laughs> if only our listeners could see it. Oh, Jake. Listener, if only you could watch Wait. this on a live stream. You would be cracking up. <laughs> Just as much as I was while watching Safety, Safety Last. Oh. <laughs> I never promised that it was going to be a yucca minute laugh yes, did. <laughs> did I? Yeah, you, you guys, yeah. You did? You did. You did promise that. Jake, oh. I have no memory of making this promise. Sorry. Read yeah. the transcript, which we always have a stenographer when we hang out. <laughs> read the transcript, read back the transcript, and find the place where I said, hey, guys, let's watch a laugh a minute yuck fest, or a yuck a minute laugh fest, I think was the phrase. Yep. yep. You, you can't do it. Now I can find something in there though that says something about, guys, are you ready to... <laughs> All right. <laughs> There's this thing called irony. <laughs> yeah, but you know, you asked for the transcripts, and irony doesn't come through on the transcripts. Our stenographer we'll bear has, out my side of the story. Our stenographer has been trained to insert <laughs> a parenthetical statement that says "ironically," which she does all the time mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we are ironic fellows, as people may know. Indeed, they may. Listen, guys, we are. What I should have said instead of silent movie edition is I should have said, uh, "What's this thing called? Staff picks." We're doing staff picks so you're yep. getting the three weirdest most esoteric most <laughs> off the beaten path <laughs> off the grid number three will shock you yeah, no, number three will shock you <laughs> all in caps mine is super off the beaten path yeah, no, <laughs> we, go around, yeah, we, yeah. we are all so basically january is a dead month for movies as you know it's a dumping ground for studio like oh we had scream six david arquette's still a thing we're gonna dump it in january and so, we thought in our yearly roundup of movies, we would do staff picks, which means you're going to get something, you know, a little bit more personal to the three staff members of this podcast. So, my pick was Safety Last. I love silent well, silent cinema. I love silent comedy. I don't necessarily yuck a minute at silent comedy. These guys can testify that they were sitting right there and I was not yucking a minute. You were not. But... I enjoy it, and I especially enjoy the stunt comedy of Harold Lloyd because he's an amazing performer and stuntman, mm-hmm. and just his athleticism is fun to watch. And there are action scenes in the, or there is a scene, the famous scene in the movie we're going to discuss today that still 
is suspenseful and kind of had my heart in my mouth and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, that's my pick. I guess we, we could just go ahead and share our staff picks so people can be catching up with them. Everyone's going to be probably they've already turned off the podcast and rushed to their TV. But then they're like, wait a second, I have to go back to the podcast and listen to it to find out what I'm going to. But they were so eager. So safety last, the Harold Lloyd classic from 1923. That's my pick. We're talking about that today. And then what order? Should we do a Jake sandwich, you think, or a Ben sandwich? Oh, I don't know. Hmm. Well, it's do we want to end with, I guess the thing is, do we want to end with the Jake or do we want to bridge with the Jake? Probably bridge. Okay, but it's still fun to reveal Jake's last. So, safety last, Jake last. Ben, what film are you going to have us watch? All right. I'm going to have, I'm going to have us watch Yojimbo. Yojimbo. Which is a black and white, not silent. But black and white Japanese movie by the famous Kira Kurosawa. Yes. And it, it inspired a ton of... Spaghetti Westerns. Yeah. And other... And a few other kinds of... I forget. There's a ton of movies made after Yojimbo. The most famous A Fistful of Dollars. Right. Which is... They all just take the plot of Yojimbo and run with it. Right. So, it specifically inspired movies, but it's also just Kurosawa helped develop the vocabulary of action cinema. He's mm-hmm. very influential on and people. And the Western, I guess. People like George Lucas, people like Sergio Leone, any, you know, action person that you know mm-hmm. has something, owes something to Kurosawa. Kurosawa. The most Western of Japanese directors. So Western that he wasn't even, he was more loved here than he was there in a lot of cases. Well, and he, if Yojimbo holds up as well as I think it will, it'll just be fun, actually. It's it's fun. And the way that he, the way that he puts the movie together is fun and tongue in cheek and it's recognizably like, I don't know, you just, you just recognize everything in the movie because it's been done in our cinema a right. bunch of times since then. You recognize the main character and his, his wry way of taking down these cartels, <laughs> not cartels, but gangs in his, in, in this little town and. All the things that he does and the way that the movie is like laughing with you at what's happening is familiar. Well, also the movie is based on an American book called, what's it called? Red Harvest by Dashiell Hammett. Oh, yeah. okay. Um, yeah. Hammett, of course, wrote two movies that I happen to, or two books that have had made been made into movies, both of which I've watched with my wife just randomly in the last few months, which is The Thin Man, wonderful movie, mm-hmm. and The Maltese Falcon. Also a wonderful movie, although not nearly as entertaining as The Thin Man, to just sit down and watch. But Dashiell Hammett, arguably the father of the hard-boiled detective story, the continental op is his detective, and in Red Harvest, he goes into a small town and he messes with these two rival gangs. So, it's a very American strain of hard-boiled storytelling that <laughs> Yojimbo is based on. But we'll talk about this in the Yojimbo episode. That's just ah, to, sorry. to whet your appetite. Yeah. And if your appetite's not wet enough, then <laughs> let's uh, <clears throat> hear what Mr. Jake is going to have. Actually, the bridge to Yojimbo, as I call it. <laughs> yes, the, the bridge to Well, I had picked out a movie um, that I really love as sort of a guilty pleasure, have a soft spot for, but Ben was concerned about the modesty of this movie. The and amount of guilt that would go into the Yeah, and player. I mean, I thought we'd better leave that one behind. And so, instead, we're going to watch... The Princess Bride. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm excited. I'm excited Which for. Which is sort of vindictive on my part. But what were we talking about? Oh, Princess Bride. Yeah. yeah. It is vindictive because we've all seen it a thousand <laughs> times. And, you it's, know. It's a true classic. It's great. It deserves to be uh, lauded. 
anyone who's grown up in Christian culture, at least my style of Christian culture, mm-hmm. had to go to a lot of youth group events and people's houses and sleepovers just, and things. Even, it's not even Christian culture. If you've just grown up in culture, like we watch that movie all the time. Yeah. Uh, as not a part of Christian culture growing up. Well, I think you get it double as Christian culture, though, because there's nothing particularly objectionable besides one bad word in that movie. So, which is the coolest part of that movie, actually. But you, at least for young boys that are watching it, you killed my father, you jerk. Mm. Um, Offer me money. Offer me power. Offer me whatever I want. Yes. Anyway, that movie is going to be a lot of fun to talk about. That movie also has a whole context. It's by the author of... uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and Marathon Man and all kinds of William Gold, Goldman, one of the great Hollywood screenwriters of the 20th directed century. Directed by Rob Reiner right in the middle of the run of Stand By Me and... Spinal Tap and... A whole bunch of other just sort of classic... Uh, what's the one with the chick and the dude and they get together at the end? Yeah. <laughs> you know that one movie? Mm-hmm. Chick, dude. <laughs> yeah. Fall in love. Mm-hmm. Seems like they're not going to fall in love at first, but then they do. Yeah. When Harry Met Sally. Yep, 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 yep. <coughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, no, Princess Bride is great. Uh, at first, it did feel a little vindictive because I was like, oh, man, I have to watch this again. But It was meant to feel vindictive. Yeah, and it, it did, and it did. But, but um, I'm not going to let you guys get away with any Princess Bride slander. Well, Ben, you've been strangely silent. Are you uh, a Princess Bride slanderer? It's time for me to reveal what I really think, Nathan <laughs> and Jake. You've all been waiting. No, I don't. I like Princess Bride. Fine. <laughs> it's good. Your vote of confidence is overwhelming. <laughs> I what, what can I say? Well, see, for me, what was always fast forwarded was the app, was the torture scene with the Apple machine. <laughs> I was just a little kid, and I just remember this one homeschooling mom whose house we were you at. Call it like, the oh. Apple machine. I, that's just what I'm calling it. No, that's not what it was. Why? Because it has a bunch of apples in it that roll. It, yeah, the torture machine has a bunch of apples in it. No. Am I Am I making this up yes, for my, for my torment? It's just water, yeah. It's water. It's no. a, you're familiar with the Okay, you guys just, you just hold on right cut. now. <laughs> you weren't allowed to watch it, so your imagination has just made it huge. You know, maybe and... I've been allowed to watch it since then, Nathan. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to find out right now. Pulling up this clip on... YouTube listener to see. <laughs> All right, folks, we're finding out in real time. This is very exciting. I hope you enjoy hanging out with us. This is one of these <laughs> kinds of episodes. Because if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> yep, here we go. Double speed, double speed. Okay, I see the water. Yep. And yeah. the and the mill. Yeah. The wheel. Yeah. Things look bad. Uh-huh. Okay, where's where's the where's the other stuff I remember? I just took a year of your life. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Could it be that I have a, a fake memory? Mandela no. effect. Yeah, you Mandela affected apples into the torture <laughs> machine in Princess Bride for some reason. No, come on. It must be there. Hold on. It's not there, Ben. I'll never believe it. <laughs> you guys <laughs> edited the Princess Bride. How did you get the studio clout to do Wait, this, Are you watching Steve? the special edition? Or <laughs> They did famously remove the apples. Yeah. <laughs> it disturbed them. Okay, I guess it's not there. I stand. I was wondering why you call it an apple. It's like, <laughs> there's nothing Steve Jobs-y yeah, about this. Yeah, kind of like, trying to make the connection. Uh, machine is so well built, it just feels like a... I stand like a true Princess Bride ignoramus. Yeah. I don't know what to say. All right. Well, anyway, that scene was fast forwarded. There were no apples. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> Boo! 
Fi, Fi. No, C Fi is not in there. Yeah, <laughs> see, Boo yeah. is. Maybe I've never seen the Princess. I think Bride. you've never seen the Princess Bride. <laughs> it's amazing. How'd you get through life without that? I don't know. Are you confusing it with the Apple Dumpling Gang? <gasps> Whoa, no! <laughs> <laughs> the truth comes out. <laughs> Ben's favorite movie, The Princess Bride, starring Don Knotts. <laughs> Speaking of brainwashing and stuff, I've been I've been brainwashed as a child. Yeah, speaking of brainwashing, you've been brainwashed as a child. <laughs> what are we talking about brainwashing? Uh, we, we are now. Well, listen, folks, uh, speaking of brainwashing, I'd like to wash your brain <laughs> with the genius of <laughs> the third rail of silent comedy, Harold Lloyd, the man who is famous as neither Charlie Chaplin nor Buster Keaton. And so, therefore... The third genius. The third genius is what they call him. And I, I do highly, if you haven't watched it, you'll have time to watch it because we will announce it on our Patreon and other places so you can watch it. But if you haven't watched it, I do highly recommend it. Eh, you know, maybe it'll be academic depending on what your tastes are, but it'll be short academic and it'll be pleasant academic. And yes. uh, it's not academic mm. for me. I, I actually really enjoy this movie, oh, particularly the scene. I mean, it takes a while to... I, I can be honest about this. It takes a while to get to the the thing, but once it gets to the thing, it's just pretty good, I think. So, I will very quickly provide some context. So, this will be fun because we haven't had a chance to talk much about early cinema or silent cinema, and it's a really fascinating period because basically, you have this thing just take over the world, come out of nowhere and just take over the world. And I still think we're catching up with it. We're still waiting to catch our breath and get some perspective on what happened. So, what did happen? Well, there's a lot of guys in the late 1800s that were experimenting with moving photography. But in 1891, the Edison Company created a kinetoscope, which is this big wood box with these like goggles on the top. And you look into it and you can watch moving pictures basically and that went public in 1893 and then by 94 it was successful and basically they established parlors around the world where you could go and you could look into this box and you could see moving pictures almost like a magic lantern show or something like that so basically it's a novelty but it's a very popular novelty and it's weird how, I mean, you only have to look at Silicon Valley to see the same kind of thing in the middle 20th century, but it's weird how when these innovations are happening, there's a bunch of different people who are all kind of hitting the same things at once. So, in 1895, the Lumiere brothers in Paris are the first to have a motion picture actually be projected to an audience. They invented, I don't know how to pronounce this, the cinematographe, which was a projector, a way of projecting film. And of course, again, it's more of a novelty. No one knows that it's going to become the dominant narrative art form in just a few years. At first, films are just these really short little things. I mean, it starts, like I said, as a box that you look into and you see a horse move or a man dance. Or something like that. And then the fascinating thing is, it, you know, it's as if somebody discovered ink and then 10 years later, we've invented the novel. Because basically, 
at the turn of the 20th century is just this novelty. We can project moving pictures onto a screen, but people are doing static shots and they're not telling stories. And by the 1910s, there are established film industries in Europe and America is just starting to establish a film industry. And people have discovered if you string together different static shots, you can tell a story. People will associate those shots in their mind and they've developed a primitive or actually not so primitive visual vocabulary of how to tell these stories. I mean, we take it for granted that if you have a shot and then you have the next shot show up, you can just cut from one to the other and we'll associate those two things in our mind. But they had to discover that, oh, we can just hard cut. Like the first movies would actually dissolve between one shot, give your mind kind of time to then go to the next shot as we fade up on that one. You watch the early George Millay's films like A Trip to the Moon. You know, if you've ever seen the famous footage, it's been repurposed so many times from the French film A Trip to the Moon, which came out in 1902, where they get into the rocket ship and it fires into the moon's face and the rocket hits the moon's eye and it's kind of grimacing. If you've ever seen that footage, that's a famous early film. And every scene is a static, locked down, stage bound shot. Many of them last for about three or four or even five minutes, and then it will slowly dissolve to the next setup. There are no hard cuts. They had to discover, oh, we can just hard cut something together and create these associations in people's minds. In 1905, a theater called the Nickelodeon opens in Pittsburgh, and it's the first theater that just shows nothing but films, just these uh, short little films. And soon Nickelodeons are opening all over the country and then all over the world. And forward-thinking entrepreneurs are founding companies to create films to stock these theaters. And the wheels of history turn really quickly then, wiping out largely the old vaudeville theater circuit, which was one of the dominant forms of entertainment in the late 19th, early 20th century, really early 20th century, wiping out a lot of regional theater, (laughs) wiping out the public's appetite for books and for magazines as the dominant form of popular entertainment. And soon people are getting their news through newsreels shown in front of films and, uh, you know, the art of narrative film has been established. And that is arguably the most important thing that happened in the 20th century. And maybe you learned that in history class. I guess you probably knew most of that. But maybe you never had somebody just tell you everything I just told you. And that's ridiculous because that is the thing that most directly affected the life that you live now. And it was all happening. And the world had completely, utterly changed. The old world had been obliterated and the new world had been created. The world of multimedia, of visual media, was born the dawn of the 20th century. And by 1910, it was in full swing. It just, it consumed things so fast. And this new breed of entertainer was rising, this new breed of star. But they were making it up as they went along. There was no established pattern. And so, They would, of course, draw on other fields to populate this new industry. In England, they had Music Hall. In America and France, we had vaudeville. And you had entertainers that 
traveled around by train and performed in different cities and were well-known comedians, acrobats, jugglers. I mean, there's just, as you can imagine, a giant appetite before the advent of film for live entertainment. And so, people that were skilled at doing pantomime and clowning and acrobatics and all this different stuff. And very quickly, the film industry is established, interestingly, more, more in Europe initially. But by 1910, Hollywood is really starting to be the place. And it has been the dominant place ever since. And it's drawing in all of these entertainers. And as always, there's a big appetite for comedy. There's a big appetite for people who can communicate comedically without words. Since sound doesn't come along real. I mean, there were some false starts and stuff like that. But real sound film doesn't become popularized until 1927. So you have this period of about 20 years from 1910 till 1930 where there's no sound film. And so you're drawing on this rich tradition of vaudeville performers and comedians and people who throw pies in each other's face and do clown acts and do stuff like that and creating silent comedy. Now, one more word about silent film. Silent film was, of course, never silent. Nobody wanted to just hear the rustling of the audience and the whir of the projector. So from, from the very, very earliest days, they'd have a pianist or even a live orchestra in a more hoity-toity venue. But silent film generally always had accompaniment one way or another. So there really wasn't any such thing as a silent film, and there never has been. It was just a matter of what you used to fill the natural silence that came along with the film. But be that as it may, entertainers from other fields who are good at their jobs are, are moving into this new media. And the most popular and beloved of those was, of course, Charlie Chaplin, a guy with a hard scrabble Dickensian life in England where he grew up as like a circus performer, basically a vaudeville performer and circus performer and clown who got drawn into early, early, early films for the Keystone Corporation in 1914 and, and quickly became one of the most well-known people in the world by 1918. You have to remember, silent film traveled really easily because you could just swap out the inner titles and you didn't have to dub the voices or anything like that. And so, silent film was an international medium in, in, in the way that modern film just isn't. And so Charlie Chaplin was known around the world. And he inspired countless imitators, which the guy that we're talking about today, Harold Lloyd, actually began as, which I will get to in a second. But by the early 1910s, when this person, when Harold Lloyd sets out to make his fame and fortune, the film industry exists. It's begun to move west. It's begun to move from the East Coast to California, where it would land. Multiple companies are springing up and are buying theaters across the nation and are creating products to fill those theaters. And in the 1910s, we're in this weird transition kind of towards the feature film, because initially, uh, through the 
zeros and then into the early 1910s, basically a movie would be uh, what's called a one reeler, which is shot on one reel, a thousand feet of film. And it can only run for about 10 minutes because that's how much film is on a reel. But they found that you could, of course, stitch together reels and actually have a projectionist switch them over. And so you can tell longer form stories. But that's something that only really becomes popular in the middle 19 teens and then into the 1920s. So when Safety Last comes out in 1926, the film as, as a medium, this is important to remember as we delve into our context of Harold Lloyd specifically, uh, film as a medium is only less than about 25 years old. And the feature film is maybe about 10 years old. The full length story that it takes place over an hour and change or two hours hadn't even been a thing for about a decade. So when we talk about the personalities of the era, which we're about to talk about, one of the big ones in Harold Lloyd, you have to understand these guys more as like startup investors or venture capitalists or robber barons. However you understand them, you can't understand them as entering into a field that's part of a known quantity. I mean, uh, you'd still have cranks saying, ah, movies are going to go the way of the dodo. They're not going to last. This is just a novelty. It's just a gimmick for a few more years when, when Harold Lloyd started out. All these guys were just experimenting with this completely new medium and creating the rules themselves. And so let's talk specifically about Harold Lloyd, the third genius. Harold Lloyd is the guy that hangs off the clock. He hangs off the clock in this movie. He wears glasses. He's got a straw hat. He's usually got a three-piece wool suit, straw jacket, glasses. Straw hat. Uh, yeah, straw jacket. He, he wears a straw jacket. He's that guy. Harold Lloyd, born 1893 in Nebraska, worked for the Thomas Edison Company. So this guy like grew up with cinema. I mean, was was there from the very beginning. Moved to California, joined the Hal Roach Studios, which that's a name that if you're a cinephile, you might recognize. He did the R Gang comedies and Charlie Chase and Laurel and Hardy and things like that. Very famous movie producer from the silent era. But Hal Roach was just getting into the business, wanted to found his own studio. And Harold Lloyd went in with him. And Harold Lloyd invented a character named Lonesome Luke. And Lonesome Luke is this really exaggerated character, a grotesque a la Chaplin, a la Buster Keaton, the other two geniuses of silent comedy. You got the big three in silent comedy, Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, and Harold Lloyd. And what he is famous for, so Charlie Chaplin was bigger than Mickey Mouse in the day. I mean, Charlie Chaplin was just, everybody knew who Charlie Chaplin was. He was so big, arguably the cinema's first big star and I think everybody still knows who he is and can kind of picture, you know, the little tramp and, and everything mm -hmm. like that. Probably most people listening to this podcast know who he is. Or if they Google searched his image, they would be like, oh, that guy. But Charlie Chaplin is exaggerated. He's pantomime. He's a clown figure. He doesn't really resemble anyone that you know. I mean, he's a little tramp and we know there's little tramps out there and stuff like that. But but he is he's a grotesque. and. Kind of the same thing with Buster Keaton. Buster Keaton, I think, is a much more relatable grotesque, but he's also, Buster Keaton was the great stone face. He never smiles. Like his whole thing is he's just doggedly determined and he's going through these adventures, like in his famous movie, The General, where he's just involved in this crazy civil war train chase. 
and it's just it's it's one of the first great chase movies and buster keaton is scurrying all over this train and jumping everywhere but the whole time his face is immobile he is completely impassive and that is buster keaton's shtick he does not react he is the great stone face that is what he's known for it's one of the things that makes him charming one of the things that makes him funny but again it's one of the things that makes him exaggerated that makes him a grotesque that makes him not as relatable but is worth saying since we're talking about silent comedy buster keaton is considered by most people who are in the know by the critics to be the actual genius i mean chaplin is undeniable chaplin is a genius Harold Lloyd, people think of more of more as a great craftsman, but Buster Keaton was the guy who understood that this was cinema and he came up with clever ways to use the camera and really push the envelope in terms of what you could do in a movie. Benjamin Sulzer famously recommended a Buster Keaton film on our 25 best. Was it, it was Steamboat Bill Jr., Steamboat right? Bill Had Jr., been. Which, which has the famous gag, I think, where the house collapses yeah, it and does, yeah. he's just standing mm-hmm. in the yep. exact right place yeah there's there's a really crazy storm scene at the end yeah well and keaton was just really innovative with the way that he used the camera with the way that he used special effects with the way that like he was on the cutting edge of what i'm not just gonna be like a silent comedian with a a girl in a park with a policeman and we're chasing each other around i'm gonna like figure out what we can do with this medium in particular is gonna be different than what we could do on the stage and so keaton's a genius i've never found him personally to be as likable where i'm going with this is chaplin and keaton the other two great silent comedy stars both played exaggerated grotesques of one type or another harold lloyd started out doing the same thing as lonesome luke and lonesome luke is really derivative of charlie chaplin and in their early teens he's making these movies and they're making money they're popular but lloyd isn't really distinguishing himself from the other great silent comedians. And so one day he has this idea. What if instead of going for something that's arch or over the top or exaggerated, I just try and create a character who is as absolutely relatable as possible. An everyman. Chaplin, Keaton, not really everyman. But Lloyd created the first comedy superstar, everyman. And he still had this costume that he put together, but it's a costume that emphasizes the fact that he's just a normal, everyday kind of guy. Straw hat, a suit. Harold Lloyd called it his glass character because the piece de resistance was the glasses. This guy's regular, he's vulnerable, he's breakable, he's just like you. And he has dreams. He wants to succeed. He wants the good things that life has to offer. He wants to be with the girl. He wants to have a good job. He wants to be established. And usually the deck is stacked against him somehow. And Harold Lloyd was just really good at creating these kinds of scenarios and these kinds of stories and became better as it as he went. The movie that we're talking about today is the perfect example. It's basically a young man who wants to make good and wants to get the girl and has to do it using only his wits and his ingenuity and his sense of humor. You could argue that as his work matured in the 1920s, Harold Lloyd became as much of a symbol of the jazz age as anybody that you could name. He is the 
all-American optimist, the guy who's going to go from something to nothing, the guy who's going to make his fortune. It's all very Horatio Alger. And people ate it up, and people loved it. And he was one of the most popular entertainers all the way up until the Depression, when all that kind of optimism began to seem a little silly. But the key, like I said, was that he created a comic persona that was relatable. And by the way, he was very analytical in the way that he came up with this. Not that he was a mathematician or anything like that, but as he became established, Harold Lloyd had his people who worked for him. He had his gag men. He had his craftsmen. And they would come up with these scenarios and they would hone them and they would perfect them and they would pile up the gags and they would figure things out. And again, that's a little bit different than Charlie Chaplin or Buster Keaton. Chaplin was an artist. Chaplin was someone who had something to say and was drawing on his own experience as basically a tramp coming up. And Buster Keaton was this weird guy who was pushing the envelope technically and doing all those things. We can talk about that sometime. But Harold Lloyd was just a businessman who wanted to work in collaboration with the best people to come up with the best ideas and the best gags and fine-tune everything so that he could create a product. And in that sense, his success story is very much like the success story of one of his characters. He's just a go-getter who worked hard and made it big in an industry that was just exploding into life and was in the right time, right place, worked hard, worked with the best people, had that can-do spirit. That was Harold Lloyd. I don't know. I'm not sure. Like, Do you guys think that the average listener of this podcast is aware of Harold Lloyd or aware of the difference between him and Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton? Like, Are these names that are still alive in the popular consciousness? Yeah, it all gets rolled into one, I think. The man dangling from the clock, the house falling mm-hmm. over <laughs> Buster Keaton. Hmm. All, I think, gets wrangled up into Charlie Chaplin. Yeah. For hmm. for most people. Yeah. Oh, yeah silent film stuff like that, whatever. Right. Well, we'll have to do some Chaplin and Keaton someday. Yeah, we will. I mean, the thing about Chaplin is he's very maudlin. He's very, goes for sentiment, especially in his later work and his, the highest peak of his art. He's like City Lights, the famous movie, like the tramp falls in love with a blind girl and the blind girl is discovers that it's him that was doing all these nice things for her. And it's, it can still get you. I mean, he's good at it, but it's even the Harold Lloyd movie that we just watched, which is comparatively cynical, has such a silly Victorian idea of, you know, the girl acts like she's about nine years old the whole time. And is just so innocent and naive and wide eyed and everything like Chaplin really sentimentalizes that kind of stuff. And I think that's why people like Keaton because he's just... <laughs> yeah. He's just a <laughs> cynical, weird... He, he's my favorite so far. But I like Harold Lloyd. I mean, Harold Lloyd's great. The other thing to know about Harold Lloyd is that with some, some kind of dynamite accident, he blew off his dominant thumb and forefinger. And so, he is climbing with a prosthetic hand in this movie. And he's doing most of these stunts himself. He was famous for uh, most of his movies have like a big stunt sequence, whether it's like a car chase or a, there's one where he's climbing around on a trolley that's out of control. And there's a lot of really cool stuff, stuff that was influential, stuff that Jackie Chan has talked about as being influential. Jackie Chan will name drop 
these guys. And and this movie, I think, if you're going to compare it to something that more modern people know, Jackie Chan would be about as close as, like, mm-hmm. I guess modern people don't know Jackie Chan anymore, but Jackie Chan yeah, the way he was Yeah, but it is the same child. sort of choreographed physical comedy. Yeah. We're going to throw items at this person and they're going to have to do th- different things with them. And we're going to, like I said, have a scenario and then milk the scenario for every bit of whatever we can get out of it. So yeah, I made you guys watch Safety Last for my staff pick. Oh, the one other thing I should say about Harold Lloyd is there are two other kind of interesting. He had the exact thing happen to him that happens to the bad girl in Singing in the Rain. He just did not have a voice for talkies. So I when, can't stand him. Yeah. And that was him. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And his voice isn't bad, but it's just not what you want for... <laughs> he sounds... Uh, like, so especially when everybody has got a... Uh, I mean, all of those actors from that school have a, a very radio style yes. voice. They started scouting from the stage. Huh. So it's singers and... Yeah, exactly. Broadcasters and... Mm. Yeah, well, Al Jolson, who said the first words in the first talking film, was a singer. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, Harold Lloyd just didn't have the voice. And especially for somebody who kind of, beyond his age, played somebody who was a young go-getter to suddenly have his, you know, 45-year-old voice coming out was just not helpful. Mm -hmm. So, he didn't really survive past the talkies as a popular entertainer. But he made all his money. He invested it well, kind of became a godfather of old Hollywood back in the day and, you know, had his mansion and really did a nice job of foreseeing the legacy of his work. So, he he basically saved all of his film prints, which is something that neither Chaplin nor Keaton did. Huh. So, I, I believe there's not a single thing that's lost of Harold Lloyd's. And the thing that you have to understand about silent cinema and old cinema is so much of it's just gone. So, many things that we wish we had Hmm. You know, the the really 3% of popular stuff has remained, but there's so many things that just weren't taken care of and film was so flammable and so able to get dirty. And every time you make a copy, it degrades the original. You know, a silent film has just been lost to us because no one was thinking about preservation or about this as any kind of a cultural legacy or an art or anything like that at the time. And it wasn't like the digital era where it all just exists in Hmm. zeros or numbers. But Harold Lloyd foresaw that and took care of and curated his own legacy. So, we have really nice prints of all his movies. Although even this one, there were some weird splices and jumps. Some and weird splices, but really high quality throughout. Yeah, really uh, high quality. Yeah. But I was surprised by how... I've only seen a handful of silent films, but I was really surprised by how sharp and clear everything was. Yeah, it looks great. And it really transports you to 100 years ago, Yeah, um, which is one of its charms. Maybe a more academic one, but it is interesting to just watch the backgrounds and watch what people looked like, all the men wearing their straw hats and stuff like that. It's just, it's fascinating Mm -hmm. to see a culture that's so like ours and yet so different. Yeah, so those were my two other things. And so, what did you guys think about Safety Last? This staff choice pick that I made you watch. It was fun. I think that it's, it's just fun to see that sort of like, okay, we have to figure out how to tell a story how to make people laugh, we can't use words. Yeah. And so, how do we put together setups and payoffs and subvert the payoffs with alternative payoffs here and there and ham it up and really make it play for people for whom this whole art form is new too. And so, all that was just super fun and, you know, it's very Bugs Bunny or 
<laughs> or whatever, you know. Especially with the introduction of the goonish giant bully. Prizeman. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's just very like, <laughs> yeah, you know, where Merry Melodies and you know, right. Looney Tunes and all that stuff sort of. Mm-hmm. They had material they were riffing on. They weren't just starting from scratch. And a lot of it is in these silent comedies. So anyhow, that was fun. And I think actually in a in a weird way, what part of what I appreciate it most about it is what I think we'll all appreciate the most about the Princess Bride, which is just the the level of elbow grease and detail that goes into every single sequence or scene. Mm-hmm. The gags are just going to multiply. Things are just going to kind of keep piling on. Everybody's got something to do that's contributing. And there's never really a wasted moment that's not being used to some kind of comedic effect. It's that's pretty fun. And you start to, you, you see movies like that and you start to realize, okay, this is a short movie. It was kind of dopey, but in terms of just effort, what modern, what, what many modern movies get away with in terms of just filler mm-hmm. and it's just, it's kind of sad. Yeah. Uh, ben, your your general thoughts? I mean, I agree with what Jake said. It's fun. You do see where those classic cartoons got their juice from. It di- it reminded me of watching like old cartoons as a kid. Mm-hmm. And I remember both like, well, it's the way that the silent movies let gags play out. And it's like <laughs> the same thing's going to happen about three times. And then the fourth time it will resolve and it will be funny. Right. And you And you're willing, you have the patience. Everyone has the patience to wait for it. Yeah. And that's a big thing in those old cartoons, which sometimes was too tedious, but sometimes is fun. Yeah. Part of the fun of them is like, this is not as frenetic as a new cartoon. No, it's going to happen. Did you like that? We're going to do it again. Oh, did you like that? See, we're going to do it again. Oh, did you like that? Now we finished the gag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, it, it's, just, it's just a totally different rhythm of setups and payoffs. And that's, it's, it's charming. And this movie was really good at it. It's fun. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, it had had me and kept my interest the whole way through. I never really got tired of any of it. I mean, I laughed at yeah t- the cheesiness of some of it, but uh-huh. I don't think it was unself aware. So no, yeah, there were really parts where we were laughing at it instead of with it. But I, I think it sort of knew, knew that. that a yeah, it played bit. sideways yeah. to itself a yeah. little. Yeah, I think it mm-hmm. did a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the stereotypes are so broad, <laughs> some of them offensively so by today's standards. Yes, there's, right? there's <laughs> yes. a Jewish uh, pawn. He goes into a pawn shop, and we have a, a Jew with a yarmulke, like rubbing his hands together as he waits. Uh, all the yeah. teeth in his mouth are black or yeah. gold. Yeah. <laughs> he's just grinning as, like, he's, as he waits for Harold to give his money. Harold finds himself greedily rubbing his hands and stops to look and realize that he's taking on the mannerisms and it better stop. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, I mean, we're not, we're not the PC police on this podcast by any stretch, but it's, <laughs> it's something. And there's the, the black guy that gets spooked by, Harold's pretending to be a statue. It's mannequin, worth, yeah. mannequin, and, and then he sneezes, and the guy's like up on a ladder, cowering. But, but yeah, I mean the the drunk guy. I mean, I think the movie knows it's going way over the top with the drunk guy and with the <laughs> the, the goonish cop who I love. Uh, <laughs> just, no, oh, but, but the but Mister uh, what's his face is the best. Stubbs, Stubbs. Yeah. Oh, Mister Stubbs, he's the floor walker. Yeah. <laughs> Or whatever you call him. Yeah, yeah. he's like a supervisor where yeah. uh, Harold Lloyd works. Yeah. <laughs> Preposterous. Well, well, also, short of like a, what's this, that's that guy's name, Jeeves and Worcester, short, short, short of a Woodhouse novel, this movie has the most uh, collection of grotesque old ladies that 
<laughs> yeah. Fat ones, short ones. Little ones. <laughs> Not grotesque like they're grotesque looking or anything. That's not what I mean, but just like just this types. over the top, yeah. like matrons. And they're going to fight over fabric and bully Harold as he works. Right. Like hit him and slap him and pull him and yank him and demand. Jab him with an umbrella and get into a little fencing a sword fight. <laughs> Some of that stuff really doesn't require you to put on your like old movie glasses. It's, it's just, Oh yeah. It's just funny. This is it, fun. Yeah. It is funny. And the stuff of Looney Tunes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's so over mm-hmm. the top. I guess we should say what the plot of this, <laughs> the very important plot of okay. explain this movie to people in case someone. Boy goes to big city to make good so that he can marry sweet country girl. That's right. That's it. Boy lies, spends all his rent money, sending her jewelry, acting like he's made it big and hiding from the landlady. And then the girl shows up and chaos ensues. Right. All leading to a extended maybe 20 to 30 minute sequence where he has to, through a series of silly contrivances, he has (laughs) to scale a building in order to win his fortune. And win his girl, he has to scale a 12 story -story building building. Uh, He thinks his friend who's a professional kind of guy Mm -hmm. that can do things like that is going to do it, but his friend cannot. And so we just have this extended kind of the scene, the scene that, made us say things like Jackie Chan or or whatever, where he just has to go up this building and pigeons are being thrown on him and <laughs> a dog goes after him and boards are being shoved out at the window that he has to grab onto and hang from. Yeah. And if you don't like heights and stuff like that, if you have any kind of empathy for that situation, it's pretty, I think it's still effective. It's There's- harrowing. It got me. There's a yeah. part at the very end where he gets knocked on the head and then he does this little <laughs> woozy dance Dance over the edge yeah and it's it's kind of hard to watch and in in the same way that like the reason i never saw that movie that zemeckis movie about the tightrope the guy that does the frenchman that did man on a man on the wire or whatever did the tightrope act across mm-hmm. the sky, skyscrapers or whatever? You mean the documentary? There's a documentary, but then Zemeckis oh. also made a movie. Oh, about I it, see. I, yeah, supposed to be. I've stupid. seen. I've seen the documentary. Yeah, I can't watch that stuff. It was. And, I have a hard time watching the real stuff, but there's a movie. Yeah, and so I, I just didn't have as hard a time with it. Yeah, you kind of know that Harold Lloyd must have survived all this if we're watching the movie now. But also, he's he's doing stuff like there's a lot of real stunt work in this movie that's obviously without wires. And, you know, I'm sure it's not all as tall as it's made. You know, there's deceptive angles. And yeah, I mean, it's all there's he used three. I looked it up while I was getting mm-hmm. my lunch. He used three separate stunt buildings. And right. It's all filmed at deceptive angles to make it look like it was way up. But it, it wasn't. It was buildings. It was stunt buildings on t- or a uh, set. He's mm-hmm. just on top of buildings. Right. You know? So, so there's that, like facades that he can fall onto. Yeah. There's all kinds of like padding and things that he can fall onto if he misses a step or whatever. But I was also, I've, I watched. But it's, but the angle of the camera is still off the rooftop of, <laughs> right. of the building that his, stu- his set is actually on. And so yeah. it does give a good, a really great effect because it is a live yeah. action background. It's not, you know, a superimposed you know, what they would have done for special right. effects. and Well, and I watched this movie with the commentary once. And the, the guy who was uh-huh. like Harold Lloyd's grand godson or something like that, 
was talking about it. And he was like, yes, of course we used angles and stuff like that. But you also have to understand he's doing all this stuff for real. He can still fall and break his neck, even if he hits a facade instead of falling 12 feet. Mm -hmm. And and in many of the shots, it would have been easy for him to just miss the facade and like fall, fall past the prop. So, man, and if you watch other movies, there's, he also had a stunt man. Yeah. Yeah. For the wide, the the wide shots. The big shots. Yeah. It said, so Wikipedia says it was sometimes the guy, his, his co-star. Right. Who was an actual steeplejack. That that guy. Yeah. I think Harold Boyd actually saw that guy doing his human fly act and just put him in the. That's what Wikipedia implies. Yeah. 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 That Uh, guy is fun to watch him climb. Yeah. Cause that was, wasn't that like a single shot if I'm remembering right? That no, didn't... it cuts away from it. Well, because the cop is chasing him. Right. Well, yeah, when he gets off of the construction shot, right? We do stuff. get a, a nice little bit of climbing. Yeah. It was pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say what I said in the while we were watching it, which is that it made me want to do more wall climbing than the latest Spider-Man did, <laughs> movie did. So, <laughs> yeah. I wish that more movies took more cues in terms of both action and comedy from a film like this one, where... The you've just choreographed your set pieces and you've spent a lot of time and put a lot of effort into choreographing your action and making it have, you know, setups and payoffs. And the same for your for your comedy, where you're actually writing jokes that they didn't have punchlines, verbal punchlines, so they had to have visual punchlines and setups and payoffs. And so it's just constant it's a never ending stream of setups and payoffs and setups and payoffs and jokes and subversions and gags and well, it's action it's just, and tension and mm-hmm. it's it, something that i wish marvel would understand because they they so rarely do anything like this there, there's like two separate suspense scenes there's the one where his friend throws him a rope but then the cop starts chasing him <laughs> he doesn't have time to tie it and meanwhile harold's dangling off of something and he's trying to grab the rope and you're waiting to see whether he'll grab the rope and it's like just setting that up and then letting it play out is so much more satisfying than if he just hops and grabs a rope that's not attached and it all just happens, you know, in real time, just telling you or and then obviously there's the one where he gets to the top and there's some doofy <laughs> machine with spinning head hit her hitting things for some reason. I don't know what it is, but some kind of weather vane. Yeah, some kind of weather vane that's yeah. spinning around and you know he's going to hit his head on it, but they make you wait for through a minute of him talking to the goofball girl or something. He keeps putting his head up and almost and that's obvious kind of almost Hitchcock level. We're going to set it up and then really milk it. You don't always have to do that, but just in the Spielberg, Indiana Jones sense of I'm going to look ahead and see what the bad guys have waiting for me. And then I'm going to think about it and I'm going to deal with it one way or another by doing something that's, that's, how exciting action scenes work and there's so little of that in these movies where Shang-Chi is just bashing his father around and although <laughs> Shang-Chi is the <coughs> Shang-Chi is the best of Marvel yes, action the actually because it, it's the one that comes the closest mm-hmm. I was just thinking of the g- really generic fight scene at the very end between, yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's true no I mean the 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 best scene in the uh, in the uh, scaffolding scene are actually amazing. But do a good job of this exact sort of yeah. thing. But you only yeah. get it for those two scenes. And it's like special and everybody talks about it. And it's like, no, it should just be like, we don't even talk about it. It's just standard. Yeah, right. I wish that we had a movie of that. Right. Can you give us that? Uh-huh. 
Yeah, it's just, I mean, it just takes, it takes elbow grease. It takes genuine innovation. I mean, what they talk about with Spielberg is like, he'd have little models of dino, like, here's the dinosaur, here's the truck, let's lay it out on a table, let's take our little video camera, and let's think about all the different things that can happen with a T-Rex and two vehicles, and, you know, there's a reason he's a master of that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. Because he's just, and then the reason is simple, he's just, he's just, I mean, the reason is he's a genius, but also... He's trying. He's he's right. thinking about it, and it's frustrating to watch these movies. That it would be one thing if they tried and failed. I mean, I guess you can appreciate. Makes me appreciate Christopher Nolan. He tries and fails. He really does try, and he's really bad at it. Man, he works so hard. He stages these elaborate sequences, like the airplane scene in Dark Knight Rises, and you hear like press reports and see interviews where they're like, "We're finally doing the the thing, the sequence we've been planning," and and then it's just not shot in a way that gives you a, a clear sense of geography or... I mean, that's the other thing that I wish movies would take a cue. Like, wide shots are so nice and they give you a sense of geography. And just taking the time to, like, establish in this Harold Lloyd movie, like, this is the building. There's a big clock up at the top. We're going to see it. I mean, we're, never, we're not going to make a big point of it. But your brain absorbs the information that it's there, that there's a wide wall. Like, you... You always kind of know where he is and they have a stupid buddy check in and kind of tell you what floor you're on. We just have spatial awareness and geographical mm-hmm. awareness. And it seems like that's not too much to ask for an, an action scene or for a scene of people moving that we know where they are and what the environment that they're in is like. Mm-hmm. But it's something that actually takes work to do and that you don't, you just don't see in, in a lot of these, <laughs> these movies. So now, now I'm ranting. Now I'm waving my cane at the air. It's that <laughs> Simpsons meme: old man yells at clouds, or whatever the, the newspaper report. <laughs> uh. Yeah, it seems like a Nolan would have to really lower himself. Uh, that that's how I think of it. Because I think in his mind, he's sophisticated. He's ahead of. He's he's beyond this kind of stuff. He's not going to give you the connective tissue that you need. Because why does he have to? Why can't he Why can't he make you put all the pieces together and give you 0.25 seconds of this shot that lets you see this thing and then 0.25 seconds of well, an unrelated him, angle? that's him being artistic, being that's, subtle. That's right. Right? That's what he thinks. That is what he thinks. And it's just, I don't know how much you make something that works. Well, yeah. there is a way to be on the cutting edge of what people's brains can absorb and... Well, and some people still are, but they make movies like Mad Max Fury Road or John Wick. Right. Or even right. or, or uh, Sherlock Holmes 2, if you're Guy Ritchie. Yeah. Which is full of action scenes with setups and payoffs that you can follow. Or Sp- Spider-Verse. Spider-Verse, yep. Yep. Those movies are all visually kind of awesome. Yeah, and they and actually ask you to participate and they're not cut together like a Harold Lloyd movie. Like, they're making use of... Mo- the modern brain and its yeah. ability to process visual information quicker than Harold Lloyd's audience could. Yeah. But they're actually telling a story visually. Right. Yeah. Yep. Setups, payoff, connective tissue, it's all there. Right. And it could be there quickly. It can be, I mean, I'll even throw, I'll, I'll throw Ben a bone here and say uh, green grass in those, in those born sequels, not in every sequence, but I no. think in some of the better sequences, like the shower fight in Born Ultimatum, for example. Yeah. Um, he knows how to imply spatial mm-hmm. geography well enough just with his shaky cam stuff yeah. that you actually, you're somehow, you're not getting 
connective tissue in any traditional way, but you can follow what's going on. Right. As opposed to a Nolan Batman fight. Right. Yeah. Batman Begins is the most egregious, but well. They don't make them like they're used to. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, guys, maybe there's not much else to say about Harold Lloyd besides. I I, I wish we had a Chaplin movie and a Keaton movie and we could just talk about all three. That would have been been the way to do this. That would have been the way to do this, probably. So maybe when we do Chaplin and Keaton, we'll do them together. That'd be a fun. I would like that. Maybe we'll even throw another Lloyd in there. That'd be a Mm -hmm. fun, you know, more close to the three-hour discussion that you you love from this particular podcast, folks. But uh, I don't know that there's that much more to say about Safety Last in and of itself. Well, I wasn't... <laughs> Sorry. My brain just like went through three different things. Did you have a Nolan edit <laughs> in your brain? I did. I was about to ask why Solo wasn't that... Wasn't... <laughs> wasn't that. <laughs> that was a very Nolan edit. <laughs> that is a very Nolan edit. Yeah. I think my brain was just bouncing through, like, I was thinking about Ford v. Ferrari, Ford versus Ferrari. That was a pretty good action movie. Yeah. I was thinking about some of these other sequences and some yeah. of these other movies and franchises that you can't watch or shouldn't watch or don't deserve to be watched. And then properties that deserve that kind of care and attention, like Marvel. Mm-hmm. And so, Star Wars popped into my head. And then, it, and then just the thought of, man, if you're going to have... The Star Wars property that really hams it up this way and does this sort of thing, it should have been the Solo movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Solo movie should have been a series of Spielbergian, Indiana Jones level choreographed action comedy. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's obnoxious. They were so dumb. Well, the thing that they never do that I always wait for them to do, I don't understand why people don't make movies like Safety Last now. Where it's just all, and occasionally they do, but very rarely do you see a movie where it's just the one conceit, you know, he has to make it up the building. Yeah. Closest thing I can think of recently, sorry, I just thought of this, uh, Premium Rush, if anyone saw that, kind of a foul-mouthed, tongue-in-cheek, it's it's about a bike messenger. Oh, yeah. I vaguely remember that. It's actually kind of fun. And it's, it's a lot like this. It's a lot of like... I mean, it's bike chases. Right. <laughs> it's bike chases. It's not... <laughs> Sometimes people in cars are chasing him. He's always on a bike. Right. It's slow. And it's slow in a pretty charming and tongue-in-cheek and Looney Tunes kind of way. Yeah. The whole movie. So... Yeah, I mean, the thing I thought of, which is way too violent to ever recommend, and I don't, is The Raid Redemption, which is just about SWAT team trapped in a building, have to make it up level by level by level. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's just... I mean, why don't they make a com? Why don't we get whoever the comedy star is and just have them do safety last? Like, just that's the concept. He has to climb up a building. You milk it for everything. Why, why isn't Dwayne the Rock Johnson doing these kinds of things? He's doing Too Fast, Too Furious, Part Twenty Two. Yeah, or Red Teat or whatever that stupid thing is. With- Jungle Cruise. <sighs> yeah. Dwayne Johnson is out of the Fast and Furious franchise, Jake. I mean, you know that if you follow the the the. I actually, between- I actually did know oh, that. Okay. All right. Diesel tried to. Rope him back. He'll, in. Ne- he'll never. He'll never be a you know family first. Oh, <laughs> skyscraper. I think there is a movie about this called Skyscraper with Dwayne Johnson. Yeah, that's right. It just uh, doesn't have the same charm as. Uh, is that the one with the big <coughs> King Kong? No, that's Rampage. Rampage. That's Rampage. Yeah. <laughs> that's a little video game. I like that yeah. video game. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen either of these movies, so no, they're terrible. Uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson doesn't take the kind of care. Why of did it, you no. pull him as the comedy star of the day? <laughs> He's he's coming out as Black Adam. 
here after a bit. Oh, uh, I don't know. He's the closest that we have. I mean, if you're going to say who's like a guy just who's just in charge of his own image, like Harold Lloyd has his own group of at- gag men that come up with these things, his own group of writers, and he just does projects that are to make I him look good. I think we should good. make Tom Cruise climb the Burj Khalifa. Yeah, I guess Tom Cruise mm-hmm. actually is the one that's doing things like this yeah. now. But he's like 60-something. He's like, too old. He cannot keep doing yeah, this Yeah, we need stuff. somebody else. Yeah. We really do need somebody else. And yeah. it needs to not just be ultra-violent Indonesian movies and things from other countries where they have less safety regulations. We need an American star who's an acrobat and has some martial arts training and... Can actually pull it all off. Can actually just... Like, like Chris O'Donnell in Batman Forever. Like Chris O'Donnell in <laughs> Batman Forever. We just want to see a movie where Chris O'Donnell has to climb a building. <laughs> we can do that. Holy rested metal, Batman. <laughs> we can get him cheap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we could probably... No, it's, it's metal. It's rested. It's full of holes. I made a joke. Oh, man. Those Batman movies. Sorry, folks. I have a cough. I know it's going to make it into the podcast. Don't know what to do about it. Trying to get, trying to lose it. Taking medicine. All kinds of medicine. Well, uh, Ben, how many pigeons out of 20 do you give to Harold Lloyd's? I just want to give it 20 pigeons. 20 it's just pigeons. enjoyable. There's not, it's just fun. It's just, it's a, it's a fun, sweet comedy. I mean, for what it is. For what it is. It's, Jake, how many pigeons do you give to Harold Lloyd's? All the pigeons. All the pit. Wow. I like it better than any of the chaplains that I have seen. Mm. I think chaplain's pretty easy to hate. He's so modern. I, I like some chaplain, but. He's, I can just see my kids being much more entertained. I think I tried to watch. I forget which yeah. one I tried to watch with the kids, but I can see the kids actually having a lot of fun with this one, a lot more fun with this one than they did with the chaplain I tried. I, I, I've, I find this more fun than the maybe one chaplain I've seen, which is City Lights, and I've, I've always found Keaton. I think I find Keaton as fun, just as much fun as this. Keaton's great. Well, we'll do our silent movie-a-thon. I don't know if we'll have to wait until next year's staff picks or Aww. not, but maybe we'll have an excuse to do it. I don't know, folks. Tell us, tell us what you think about Safety Lights. I obviously give it all the pigeons. I love this movie. If you like Harold Lloyd and you want some more, I recommend The Freshman, his classic college comedy where he plays a big silly game of football at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little lighter on the stunts, but it's a fun story and fun slapstick and stuff like that. And there's one called Speedy, which has the big chase on the, what are those things called? He tries to get on one, like a trolley uh-huh. kind of thing. Pretty cool. Also has a cameo by Babe Ruth. The uh, oh, cool. topical celebrity cameo of the day. They just have Babe Ruth show up in the movie. Mm-hmm. So, fun. pretty fun. And if you like the era, which I do, if you like the jazz age, just if you want to travel through time and see what things looked like and how people acted and you're kind of intrigued by what their notions of womanhood were and what their notions of success, you know, it's just, it's just fun. I mean, it's fascinating to speculate how silly they would the average person would have thought that the girl character in this movie what like is it just a comic conceit or is that actually what people thought about women back were they that weird and victorian still by 1920 or is it just completely silly i don't don't know i don't know i'm not enough of a social historian to really know i mean i i could take a guess but (laughs) (laughs) you know i don't think that these guys if that was their view of women were were doing too well with the ladies no Harold Lloyd actually married that girl. the The girl in the movie is huh. his, his longstanding wife. Although I think he had lots. At of least he affairs. wasn't sleeping with little teenage cousins or whatever, like Charlie Chaplin. Chaplin is a horrible <laughs> guy, and his movies are so self serving. And uh, maybe I just don't like Chaplin. But Modern Times is great. I mean, Chaplin's great, uh, but he's also a terrible, terrible human being. Hmm. 
Buster Lloyd might be the most likable. Uh, Did you just say Buster Lloyd? Buster Lloyd, yeah. <laughs> Buster Lloyd. Well, folks, safety last. If you are an anti-Semite, you will like this movie. And if you like good movies, you like this movie. But that doesn't mean that the Venn diagram overlaps. Anything else to say, Ben? No. All the pigeons. All the pigeons. Hey, all the pigeons. And speaking of all the pigeons, we have a person who deserves some <laughs> pigeons before we get going here. Um, Friendly pigeons. Yes, Friendly Pigeons for our Patron Choice Award winner of awesomeness. More like our Pigeon Choice Award of awesomeness. <laughs> yes, our Pigeon Choice. <laughs> Nicely done, Ben. <laughs> oh, man. Where is it? Okay. Yes, Jacqueline. Jacqueline, you are our Pigeon Choice Award winner of awesomeness. <laughs> ben, Jake. Aren't you so honored, Jacqueline? What, what do you think about Jacqueline? Why does she deserve to be the Pigeon Choice Award winner of awesomeness? Because if she were climbing a 12-story building to win $1,000 and a husband... She would not let pigeons knock her off. She would persevere, just like Harold Lloyd. I agree. That's right, yeah. I agree. Well said. Well said. Thank you. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Until next time. There's, there's nothing to say because there's no words. It's a, it's a silent movie. <laughs>